Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Well, New Zealand's rugby provinces may have given the green light to the Silver Lake deal to buy into the game here, but the deal is still a long way off, it seems. On the field, women's rugby moves to another level this weekend with the first women's super rugby match between the Blues and the Chiefs, but just how far off is a fully-fledged women's super rugby competition? And Joseph Parker steps back into the ring for what may well be a make-or-break fight for his professional career. If this deal doesn't proceed because of the stance taken by the Players Association, it'll be the biggest own goal in the history of New Zealand sport, and I believe that. That's New Zealand Rugby Chair Brent Impey, who came out swinging earlier this week after negotiations between the NZR and the Players Association over the Silver Lake deal ended in a stalemate. Under the proposal, Silver Lake will get a 12.5% stake in NZR's commercial interests for $387 million. And while the provinces voted in favour of the deal at Thursday's AGM, New Zealand Rugby still needs sign-off from the Players Association. The players, though, are not convinced, and they've put up alternatives to the deal. They're unhappy with the NZR's proposal to reduce the players' share of revenue. And All Blacks hooker Dane Coles has been involved in discussions, and he's not confident the impasse can be resolved. I'm not totally sure. Um, There's no rush to get into it. This is a very big decision, mate, and it's um, something we could look back in 100 years and like, why did we make this decision? Or we could look back in 100 years and we're glad that we made the decision. And, um, and, I, and I know the Players Association have got the players' best interest at heart. If it was about the money, mate, we'd say yes, you know, plain, plain and simple. But it's not about the money. It's about leaving the game in the best hands and having the future as bright as we can and looking after everyone. But Brent Impey, though, doesn't believe that. 80% of what we um, spend on rugby goes into the professional game. Only 20% goes into the um, community game. We need to change the paradigm. The game is struggling big time with boys, girls, women, Māori, Pacifica, wherever it is in our community, the 158,000. So this is, this is all about money. Um, the New Zealand Players Association started off by saying, oh, it's philosophical, and then... Uh, they're happy for the philosophical point to go as long as they get the, as long as they get the money. And what they're looking for is 40% of uh, what um, uh, comes comes in from... from OK, the, well, that's an interesting... Let's let's have a little bit more of a look at that then. What, what will you need to offer the players to get them across the line? Just more money? Yeah, it comes down to money. Um, we're prepared to... In, under this deal, so Dane Coles, when he money. says... When Dane Coles says, and it's not about the money... Dan Coles, uh, who I've got a tremendous amount of respect for, along with all of those players, I am not at all convinced um, that uh, Dane has been properly briefed by um, the Players Association. Is he being disingenuous? 
I don't think Dane Coles in any way is being disingenuous, but I do believe that the Players Association have not represented uh, exactly what their position is, which was, we oppose the deal philosophically, but hey, we'll give that away if you give us more money. That's Brent Impey talking on Morning Report. Well, what happens now? Things seem to have broken down to the extent that New Zealand Rugby and the Players Association are having several weeks of cooling off taking a break from negotiations. So can a deal still be reached? I'm joined now by Dr Richard Wright, a senior lecturer from the Department of Sport and Leadership and Management at AUT, and RNZ sports reporter Barry Guy, who was a keen observer at the New Zealand Rugby AGM. Richard, if we start with you, Brent Impey's undoubtedly gone on the offensive here, seemingly pouring more petrol on a fire. How, How do you see this playing out now? This hasn't happened overnight. This deal has been going on now for over 12 months. You know, they've been working on this. They would have made certain promises, certain, you know, statements through to Silver Lake when they were doing the pitch for this. You know, as you go to any investor, you have to do a pitch and say, this is what we can give you, this is what we want. I don't believe Silver Lake would have been the people to approach New Zealand rugby. It would have been probably the other way around. You know, so he would have gone in with guarantees that, you know, New Zealand is 100% behind this. And what we've just seen in the last 24 hours is that's not the case. Um, so there's, there'll be a certain element of embarrassment, I feel, on his path. And, and again, what you often see is his best form of defence is attack. So he's, he's come out swinging. Um, but if you, if you take this out of a rugby context and actually just put this into a business context, you know, the players are employed by New Zealand rugby. So what you've got here is staff essentially going against their employer. You know, the money that these players get come from New Zealand rugby. So we've got this kind of impasse that you'd see in any other business where the business is sold to another owner, potentially, and the staff have gone, well, hang on, we didn't have a say in this. You know, how does this affect our future? And I think that's one of the big things with the players. They just want to know how is this going to affect what the future players themselves and, you know, those that follow them are going to be expected to do. And, you know, so far they just seem to... It's that power-interest matrix of... Do the players have more power than their employers? I, I wonder, Richard, when this plan was first mooted or Silver Lake came to the uh, New Zealand Rugby Union, uh, having the players involved must have been, you know, initial part of the plan. And that uh, so what has changed over the last year or whatever that um, has taken place since it was first suggested, perhaps, um, were the players never in agreement or had they sort of suggested there'll be a a breakdown of you're going to get a certain amount of money or or whatever? Um, I I just wonder why it's it's such an issue has been for the last couple of months. You, You would have thought perhaps, you know, a lot of these things would have been sorted out a long time ago. Um, that they're sort of a bit fragmented, uh, New Zealand rugby, it appears, and, and how they're dealing with this. Yeah, I, you, f- you get to feel that something's missing, isn't it, from the jigsaw here. That, you know, we, we're all about in tra- transparency, and the New Zealand rugby have to be very transparent because they're a not-for-profit uh, national sports organisation. So essentially there's an obligation for them to tell the public what is going on. I've, we do feel like there's something missing. Like the players, there's, something doesn't add up here. Now, I don't believe the players would be doing this to threaten their futures. You know, that's not in their best interests because, you know, they're all centrally contracted. So what if rugby just turns around and doesn't offer them a central contract next year and says, OK, well, we'll go for another batch. So there is there is something missing. And I think that's got to come out in the next week and a half or so and say, OK, what is missing? Um, is that enough to, you know, will Silver Lake walk away from this? Will Silver Lake go, do you know what? We'll go to, a, we'll go to the Wallabies or we'll go to the Springboks 
and we'll offer the money to them and we'll get our investment from the Springboks. I mean, as you say there, Richard, the Rugby Players Association has been sort of conspicuous by its absence in commentating, I mean, around this, because of the collective bargaining arrangements. It's my understanding that this deal and the details around it weren't necessarily presented to the Rugby Players Association until reasonably recently, sort of when collective bargaining got underway. So that may have some impact on on where discussions have led. But as it's... I mean, I get the sense, too, that it's almost become a personality conflict, hasn't it? Because Brent Impey's been very strident in how he's approaching things. Maybe the fact that he's now decided to step down as chair, he's thinking, well, I can, I, I'm going to go out with a, you know, all guns blazing. Yeah, if, it's interesting. If you, again, if you look at when Silver Lake invested into Manchester City, you know, they didn't ask Pep Guardiola, the manager of Manchester City Football Club. They didn't go to the, the players of Manchester City. You know, the owners made a decision. And the owners was, this is, you know, we need to break into America. We're happy to, you know, invest and get an investor in that will help Manchester City grow their profile in America. You do, you do wonder again, why should New Zealand rugby have consulted the players if if they are the guardians of rugby in New Zealand and they believe that this is the best for rugby in New Zealand to go and ask every single player or to go through the players' associations, you know, it adds an extra layer of complexity. Like certainly they need to be told of once the deal has been kind of confirmed and this is what it is. But you know they do. There are a lot of players that would love to wear that black jersey. There are a lot. It's a privilege and an honour to to become an All Black. It's not a you know human right. So you know you can see where they've come from. Gone. They are responsible for the whole game, and you know eighty percent of the funding going into the top end and twenty percent going into the bottom end is not sustainable. Uh, we've been talking about this pretty much before the Rugby World Cup came to New Zealand in 2011. Numbers were decreasing in rugby. You know, they they banked on the Rugby World Cup in 2011 being a, a way to get people back into rugby. And, you know, so this isn't a new problem that's arised. They've known for a while that the model of everything being based on the All Blacks, who play 15 times a year at most, is not sustainable when people aren't playing rugby and aren't going to watch rugby in their local community. Many people may ask why the, the Rugby Players Association sort of got this sort of hold. Um, the, the, the thing with the collective bargaining is that the players still hold their image rights. So for the Silver Lake deal to get over the line, it needs approval for the players to essentially release their rights for image rights when it comes to whatever they're going to use, eSport games or games, whatever, for marketing. And that's tied up in the collective bargaining agreement so that's where the hold comes yeah and, and again brett mp obviously played a major part in that agreement so you can almost see you know when when fingers are starting to be pointed and stones thrown you've got to look back to when that agreement was set up now you know the, the all blacks new zealand rugby's income generation what comes from their commercial partnerships and their media broadcasting you know that is where their money comes from and you know the minute you saw well tj going over to japan is now what been he's allowed to promote Powerade because he's no longer an All Black, um, whereas you know Gatorade is the All Blacks' commercial partner. So what will be really interesting is obviously AIG are pulling out this year, and there's been talk of you know who's going to replace them, potentially having the same sponsor as the French rugby team. Which again, how how will that play out? Seeing the All Blacks and the French rugby shirts with the same sponsor on them, Adidas negotiations come up in 2023. Now, I would I would imagine. 
Silver Lake are going to have a massive part in that. And, you know, maybe it becomes Nike, maybe it becomes Puma, maybe it become it'll go to the highest bidder. They'll, you know, the the deal of, well, we've been with Adidas for so many years and we've got relationship will go out the question now. You know, Silver Lake are going to have a major part in that commercial contract. And, you know, they'll be wearing whatever logo it gives us the most money, I would imagine. Uh, Stephen, as Richard mentioned with uh, Manchester City there, uh, the, the way the setup is, as Richard said, is you know you have an owner who more or less makes all the decisions, and the board, you know, fulfils those decisions and, and whatever needs to be done. The, the setup with rugby, of course, and world rugby is completely different. It's all committees; everyone from around the world has their say on the game and and the likes. And and really, if for New Zealand rugby, the biggest part of New Zealand rugby is the All Blacks. If you're overseas and you look at New Zealand rugby, you think the All Blacks. And so I, I sort of think that, um, you know, the, the provincial club game, of course, New Zealand rugby will look after that. But the All Blacks are really bigger than that. And, and I would say that's possibly why they're sort of holding off a little bit is that, um, you know, they, they do hold sort of most of the power because um, they're the biggest part of uh, the whole game in New Zealand. Do you, do you feel, Barry, that it's got the point this is a personality conflict? Yeah, a little bit. I think uh, New Zealand rugby or Brent Impey is uh, getting a bit frustrated. Uh, whether it was their doing that this is dragged out for so long, you know, who exactly knows, but he, he wants, and so he's now starting to fight the battle in the media. And um, I, to their credit or not, uh, the Players Association hasn't responded as yet. Uh, maybe they're what's it, saving their... They're uh, uh, keeping their powder dry. The powder dry for next week, and they're going to fire it then. Um, yeah, it is. I think there's a there's a few frustrations, and they they want this sorted out. And at the moment, New Zealand rugby is using the media to um, you know poke the fire. Do, do you think MP's departure or stepping down as chair is going to help resolve this? Because I mean, a couple of weeks at hiatus, and these it shows how far apart the two parties are, doesn't it? Yeah, the only problem is though, is if, if someone comes in that's more of a moderate in some way you might end up with a uh, this impasse sort of carrying on for a while because they'll have some sympathy for the All Blacks or the All Blacks might think that, you know, we've got a bit, a bit more to bargain with now or whatever. Um, I suppose, uh, at least with Brent Imby in there at the moment for at least another month, uh, you know what uh, angle they're firing from. Uh, Richard, Silver Lake, how do you think they're looking at this? Silver Lake are investment bankers. They're not go- If they feel like there's a risk that they're not going to get their money back or that their brand, and their brand is obviously much bigger than the All Blacks, it's a global thing, if they feel they're going to be tarnished from this, you know, that actually people might start boycotting other things that they're involved in because they've come in, then they'll run a mile. You know, it's not worth it for them. Now, you know, their interest is obviously the power of they believe they can sell a lot of All Blacks merchandise, a lot of All Blacks image rights in America. That is, and Asia probably, you know, they've looked at it and gone, this is where the money can come back. And, you know, you've also got to consider the CVC Capital's investment in Northern Rugby. And, you know, again, these are these are rival firms here. You know, these they, they will be looking at how much money the CVC ranked the, the Six Nations, but also the Gallagher Premiership and the Guinness Pro 14, which now has the South African teams in it. You know, so that's who they're up against. That's the eye they're looking at. And certainly if they feel that, do you know what, New Zealand don't want this money, then they could walk away at any time. And That, that, my, said, my... that, that said, the all-black brand, though, if, you, if you're going to get into rugby, it's the all-black brand, isn't it, globally? And, and I mean, for, for Silver Lake, this is possibly even small change, 380-odd million, isn't it? 
It it is. It's it's you've you've got to look again. We're always looking at investment. What is in it for us? What is in it for them? And you know they would have been watching a keen eye when the All Blacks played in Chicago and the All Blacks come over. And you know they'll know that 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 is a brand that is worth having into their stable. But if you look at um, you know the football example or even sort of the motor racing, you know, Ferrari is the most powerful brand on the planet. It regularly gets rated the number one brand on the planet in terms of power because you know Ferrari, you know it's Italy, you know it's red racing cars. You know, the All Blacks is very similar in that you know it's rugby. But, you know, the general sort of what we also look at is that link to New Zealand. And, you know, the All Blacks only played six times last year. They won two, they lost two, and they drew one. So that's a 50% record. They're number two in the world right now. Number one is South Africa, who, interestingly, you know, allowed their players to play overseas, and they've gone down that market to say, okay, well, we can't afford to pay all our players the rate, the money that the, the English can, so why don't we let the English and the French play, pay our players, and we'll just play them when they play for the Springboks. Now, to me, that is the only other alternative New Zealand have got would be, if we don't get this investment in to keep All Blacks in the country, we've got to let them go and play overseas, earn their money overseas. And you know what? We'll select them, and they can play for the black jersey during those international windows. Silver Lake, presumably, they're not in this for the long term. They'll be looking to to, to make a buck and flick it in what four or five years. Um, I don't. The talk has been seven to ten years. You know, they, they they won't leave until they've got their money back. Basically, there's there's no, you know, that so they will see they'll have a cut off at which point they just write it off as bad debt almost or sell it off. But you know, I I genuinely believe. New Zealand rugby would have not done it if they felt that was the case. And you, you've got to go to Brett and you've got to give them credit and go, OK, they, you know, they, these negotiations have been going on for a while. You know, give, they would know if this was just going to be a quick wham-bam sort of deal. Now, I, I look at the 2027 World Cup and I would you know, expect it. Australia obviously one of the favourites to host that, but you know, that, they'll want that World Cup in America. They'll, if not the, the 2027, the 2031... Now, Silver Lake will want to be involved with the All Blacks when they come and play in that World Cup. So I don't believe they would jump away, you know, in three years or so if it's not working. Dr Richard Wright from AUT and Barry Guy, thank you very much for your time on Extra Time today. Still with rugby, but back on the field, the women's game moves to another level this weekend with the first women's super rugby match between the Blues and the Chiefs at Eden Park. The match is being billed as the first step towards a full Super Rugby competition for women. But the lead-up to the showpiece events highlighted there's still plenty of work to be done, as Felicity Reid reports. The postponement of this year's Rugby World Cup has had a silver lining for some Black Ferns. Instead of international competition, they're making history on the domestic scene. New Zealand Rugby's Head of Women's Rugby Development, Kate Sexton, says a women's super rugby match wouldn't have happened this year if the World Cup was going ahead, but they're making the most of the unexpected opportunity. It's a great step forward. It's something that we've been keen to do for a while. I think it will not only create more opportunities for players, but also for coaching staff. So really pleased that we're underway with this one-off match this year and we're really looking forward to what we can um, put in play at the start of next year. Chiefs assistant coach and former England international Latoya Mason is among those hoping that tomorrow's match is not a one-off. Daily from this, you know, every other franchise gets on board and there is a full-time women's super rugby programme. Um, there's just a, it's just another route for the um, into the Black Ferns. 
but to show also those young girls coming through that there is a nice pathway and it involves super rugby. Suggestions that a four-team semi-professional women's super rugby competition could kick off as early as February is being met with cautious optimism by Blues assistant coach and former Blackfern, Anna Richards. Richards is realistic about what is required to move the women's game forward. She says the Super Rugby competition would require investment and the likes of the proposed Silverlink deal with New Zealand Rugby could be one way to make it happen. Whether it goes ahead or not, money always helps grassroots. Money helps, money greases the wheels. So however they get the money, it would be great to advance women's rugby. The Blues and Chiefs have both named game day sides stacked with black ferns, but they're also players who have day jobs and play club rugby on the weekend. Latoya Mason says despite the limited time together, the Chiefs team have a skillful backline that the Blues should watch out for. It's been really uh, unique actually. Obviously all the girls coming from Taranaki, Bayapulini, Kaunas, Waikato, um, you know, we've had to bond quite quickly, but a lot of the girls know each other through Black Ferns, Barbarians, so it's more of just a group of friends coming together and playing ball with each other. The Blues are mixing an all-international front row with teenage playmakers in the back line, and Captain Eloise Blackwell says they're a good representation of what women in the region can do. We're quite fortunate uh, in the Blue squad that a lot of the girls have come from the Auckland region and that's obviously no disrespect to girls in the other region. We just have uh, a lot of talent within our region but yeah, we're quite lucky that the girls that have been thrown into the mix we're familiar with and they've just yeah, slotted in really well. Anna Richards says a milestone match has caught the attention of those still in the game and those who have hung up their boots. There's a lot of talk overseas. Like a lot of people that I've played against, they all want to watch the game. I'm like, yeah, to live in New Zealand to see the cream. Yeah, people are not very happy <laughs> overseas, but uh, around the country, former black fans are stoked. The women have also received support from their respective men's super rugby sides, with Chiefs and All Blacks captain Sam Kane handing out the Chiefs jerseys on Sunday. Blues stand-in captain Tom Robinson is also positive about the change around their training facility. We welcomed them to our headquarters, well it's their headquarters too now, talking to them and how excited they were, um, it was pretty cool. It's all big, one big family now. Felicity Reid with that report. Joseph Parker's path back to the heavyweight world title reaches another crossroads this weekend when the New Zealand boxer fights British veteran Derek Shizora in Manchester. The former WBO champion has had four straight wins since back-to-back losses in 2018, putting him inside the top ten with three of the sport's four major sanctioning bodies. But Parker's underwhelming win over Junior Farr in February has left him with plenty to prove. He's hoping a split from long-time trainer Kevin Barry to link up with Irishman Andy Lee can get him another title shot. Joseph Parker told Clay Wilson the new partnership is just what he needed to reignite his career. It was a great move to make, you know, leaving one camp and going to another. And it all came down to the recommendation of Tyson Fury. He recommended that Andy will be a great trainer. So the whole experience has been great because it's a new, for me, it's a new venture. It's a new challenge. I had I had no idea what to expect moving into the UK or moving to Ireland and training. But ever since I've been, I've, I've embraced it all. I've done everything I can to prepare the best I can. And I feel like just everything has fallen into place. Um, the only thing left now is to go out there and, and put on a good performance. You mentioned there your new trainer, Andy Lee. How did you guys gel initially and how has that partnership been able to develop? And I guess what is a reasonably short time frame, five or six weeks? The first time I met him was on Zoom, like three or four Zoom calls. And then seven days later, I, I was on an airplane flying to meet him in person and to start our training camp for this fight date that we had sort of looming. Um, we jailed straight away. Like, he's a great guy to be around, very fun, positive energy. But when it's time 
to get into the gym and work, there's a switch, but he, he doesn't take any bullcrap. Like he, he's all about working hard, no complaints, you know, and listening. So he's very good in terms of training, but he's also a great teacher and he's also a great communicator. And, and I feel like our partnership has, uh, has been great for the six or seven weeks that we've been given to train for this fight. So you've gone into this fight with Andy in something of a trial basis. Do you see it being a, a longer-term partnership at this stage, and how are you approaching that decision? Uh, I see it as a long-term. I feel like we've jailed. I mean, we have to put on a good performance, um, but I see it as a long-term, and hopefully he sees it as a long-term as well. You know, I feel like with the, the little time that we've been given to work together, we've made some good changes, some positive changes. And if we had even longer time, who imagine what we could do together. So I see this as the beginning of a long partnership ahead. You also mentioned earlier about Tyson and the connection, obviously, with Andy and Tyson Fury. You've had his gym to train in. He was around, as you said, for the early part of your camp. So what was that like to spend an extended period of time with him, who, someone who's become a friend of yours, but to, to train alongside him, to, to be with him for an extended period of time? Um, the only times I have hung out with Tyson in the past was out for dinners, going to the gym to watch him train in Vegas, going out and having fun together. But uh, this is the first time I actually got to train with him. You know, I can see the difference in training. I can see why he's he's where he's at. He he trains like a beast. And he's very positive to be around, great energy, someone who's, you know, wanting you to the best. Even though we're both in the same division, heavyweight division, he wants me to be the best that I could be, and that's great. It's like, yeah, so he's like an older brother, and it's a great friendship that we have. We spoke at the start about arriving in the UK and um, I wanted to ask you because as soon as you arrived you had something pretty significant to deal with obviously your name being publicly revealed with something that I'm sure you would prefer it wasn't. How has that situation been to deal with? How challenging has that been to deal with being over there? Um, not so much challenging because I, I know the truth and my family know the truth and I was just, I was just worried about the family back home, making sure that they were okay. I was okay here, you know, I was surrounded by good people, you know, Andy and his family, and uh, my focus was more on just the training and the reason why I was here. All of that noise I was able just to block out because I had a job to do. Uh, looking at your opponent for this weekend, he's well-known, Derek Chisora, he's fought some very well-known fighters, he's sort of something of a gatekeeper perhaps in the heavyweight division. What opportunity does a fight against him present for you, especially given your own background and history and, and current ranking as well? Uh, this is a, a very important fight for both of us. I mean, he feels he's still got a lot to give the heavyweight division, even though he's been around for a long time. Um, and it's like the, the loser of this fight has a lot of questions they have to ask themselves. Um, so I feel that this is a very important fight for both of us. And, you know, when this fight, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of options out there, other big fights. That's boxer Joseph Parker speaking to Clay Wilson, ahead of the New Zealand heavyweights upcoming fight in Manchester on Sunday. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. My thanks to Dr Richard Wright and RNZ's Barry Guy. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Public Radio, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.